summer's over and football season is back, and so is the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, here with Noah Fleischman to discuss all kinds of JMU sports, but especially the Dukes hitting back on the gridiron. So Noah, are you excited to get back out to uh, Bridgeport Stadium? You've been you've been to Bridgeport Stadium a lot, but you'll be in the press box for the first time in a few months and uh, see a game, see uh, see Alonzo Barnett. I think that's you know been a b- big topic here uh, recently. Um, not a big surprise that he was essentially named the starter, but or not a big surprise that he's essentially is the starter. It's a maybe a surprise that uh, Kurt Signetti came right out and basically said it on Tuesday. Yeah, you know, I missed my my seat in the press box. Haven't been there, you know, since the spring game, so it's been a few months. We have been there, as you said, you know, on the field and, you know, seeing stuff at practice. But it's been good to get back up in the press box. You know, Chris Brooks always hooks it up with the snack, so I can't wait to make my my goldfish and fruit snack snack that everyone likes to roast me for. But you know what? We're, we're going to have a good day. But, yeah, I think, you know, it was a surprise on Tuesday when Chris Ignetti basically said Alonzo Barnett's starting quarterback without uttering that. That phrase, Alonzo Barnett is starting quarterback because he said Jordan McCollum's the backup. So you put two and two together and you get four, or in this case, Alonzo Barnett is the starter. Yeah, and you know there had been clues that this is the way it was going for a long time. Yeah, um, and you know I still think some people were pretty surprised. Obviously, uh, Jordan McCloud is the one guy in the program right now who has some experience starting at this level um, with you know, at least some degree of success at South Florida, maybe not in the wins and losses, but his stats were decent, but um, all indications are uh, Alonzo just simply beat him out. This, I guess probably starting in the spring, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between the two of them in the spring. And then it seems like Alonzo just flat out beat him out. Here yeah, in the fall. He, he did. And, you know, we can go back to spring. They alternated a lot, right. With the first and second team reps between the two of them during the spring, they did it in the spring game. Both got time there. But, you know, over the summer, it appears that Alonzo put some weight on, right? He looks bigger than he did in the mm-hmm. spring. He looks bigger than he did last year. He kind of looks more like the, you know, NFBS quarterback, just, you know, muscle-wise. And, you know, we weren't allowed to say anything during camp, but we can say it now because Chris Kennedy did. So Jordan McLeod took day one first-team reps. Since that day, he has not taken a first-team rep. I mean, it was pretty obvious, you know, a week in the camp that Alonzo was trending the way. But, you know, we, we kind of under a— you know, embargo, if you want to call it that. And, you know, we're not allowed to report depth chart stuff at practice. But Chris Ignati mentioned it, so we're allowed to talk about it now. And, uh, yeah, so it was obvious trending that way. I know it surprised probably some JMU fans that McLeod got beat out. Um, and I think, you know, there's still a chance that Brett Grievous can push McLeod for that number two spot. I mean, Curtis Ignati's talked about that spot's fluid. Um, he said, you know, Tuesday would have been Jordan McLeod as the backup, but, you know, if it's that fluid, you know, could it change by Saturday? Could it change by next Saturday at Virginia? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a surprise to the public, but I think for us it's it's not too big of a surprise to see Alonzo um, as a starter, and uh, he, he looks like he's he's ready for the opportunity. You mentioned Brett Griffiths, um, the other young guy who I think everybody thinks is talented. Alonzo, him, I don't know exactly, I don't that look it up. I don't know exactly how old these guys are, but to be like 19, they're, they're around 19, 19 20. 20 years old. That is the point in your life where you can kind of make those big gains as far as like, um, developing a lot of strength. And we think we saw it from both of them in the off season. Uh, you know, one thing people talked about with Griffiths is, you know, you can go back to the spring. Okay. Yeah. He's very smart. He's putting the ball where it needs to be, but it's not getting there very fast. Yeah. And that seemed to be much improved. 
by the fall just a couple of months later. Um, I think both of those guys seem to uh, probably probably uh, get to know the strength and conditioning staff pretty well. I think so. And I think, you know, if you want to take this, I think Alonzo was in that same boat last year during the competition, right, with, with Billy and uh, Totson Teo. He, he could see he could do it. It was just sometimes the ball didn't get there. The ball came out, comes out of his hand really well. He just needed yeah. a little more zip. It's got the zip. Brett's ball looks totally different now with the zip behind it, and it looks great. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, Alonzo, he's always been different when you watch him, even as a freshman. Just the way the release and the ball comes right out of his hand, it's, it's, you know, you say, all right, that guy could be really good. And now I think we're starting to see it, you know, all come together for him. And, you know, his confidence is up, which is a good thing. And I think, you know, a game like Bucknell is a really good game to kind of start him off because next four weeks after that are uh, probably the most brutal schedule that JMU's played in a while. Yeah. I mean, we can get into that a little bit as far as um, starting off with Bucknell. Like, I'm, I'm with you on that. This is a perfect opportunity to go with a freshman quarterback because it's a game that, you know, they could pull one of us out of the press box to, like, play quarterback, and they'd probably still win this game because you're playing behind. Not it. sure I could see over the offensive line, but, you know. <laughs> I don't think I'd throw a pass if they pulled me down there, but I think, <laughs> I think they could just uh, hand it off to the uh, stable running backs behind – a veteran offensive line and probably get by in this one. Um, you know, maybe maybe Bucknell will surprise us a little bit, but I, they went three and eight a year ago. Yeah, I don't think this is uh, going to be much of a challenge on the scoreboard for JMU. Um, you get a chance to kind of you know work, um, just work Alonza into the game situations without a ton of pressure. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this may be a season where. You know, Kurt Signetti's always liked to run the ball a lot. This may be a season where we go back to it a little bit more as opposed to the last two seasons where you had quarterbacks capable of putting up huge numbers for you. And, you know, both Cole Johnson and Todd Santeo did that. Um, You don't have to put that pressure on Alonzo Barnett right now to say, we need you to throw for 3,000 yards and 25 touchdowns, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, a year ago, Tots and Taylor, what, threw the ball 30 times or so a game? I think, you know, somebody asked me this yesterday. I think you could see Alonzo throw the ball 20 times a game and get yeah. away with it. Just with the four running backs they have behind him, he can also run. So there's a chance that, you know, if Alonzo, if things start to, you know, fall apart, they want him to make good decisions. And maybe one of the decisions is either throwing the ball away or if there's nothing downfield, tuck it and go. Because he's he is the most mobile, I think, of the four quarterbacks on the roster right now. He's more mobile than a guy like Jordan McLeod. He he can get in a space. He's got what four carries for close to thirty yards last year in his garbage time that he was playing. But um, yeah, I think that he that's a thing that he can do, and I think that that's going to help. But yes, I think they'll run the ball a lot. You know, with you guys like Kalon Black, Latrell Palmer, Tyson Lot, and Solomon Van Horse. You can keep going down Wayne Knight. I mean, they're really <laughs> deep at yeah. that position. And so I think that, you know, we'll see a lot of that. But we'll also, I think, see a lot of, you know, when he does throw, don't think they're going to go downfield, you know, 30 yards downfield every single play. I think you're going to see a lot of, if there is a play that's got guys going downfield, you're going to see a running back kind of leak out in the flat and kind of be that check down. And so he's got that, you know, safety blanket there if he needs it. Yeah, you know, we talk about the running back position. Um, you know, three guys essentially coming back from last year. And then you add a Tyson Lawton who looked so good in the spring. Uh, wasn't even listed on the depth chart this week. I know he's he's tweaked the bang, hamstring, up a but little bit. He'll, they said he's full go. But so. yeah, but Kurt also said there's no significant injuries to the like too deep, and um, you know that's. He, I mean, he, he, he so did good. mention that he he tweaked the hammy. Yeah, he was good though. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not saying that's like a, a huge injury um, to keep him out, 
it seems like you essentially got at least four guys who were like very very capable. And then you mentioned somebody like you know Wayne Knight, who Kurt also um, you know mentioned both the Knight brothers kind of unprompted as being guys who have extremely good work ethics and people who can help this team. And maybe that's our transition into another position group is uh, mm-hmm. Wayne's younger brother Yamir Knight making the two yeah. deep um, as a true freshman. Um, that group is going to look a lot different, but it seems to be uh, one that has some talent and, and depth, maybe even surprising amount of depth given what was lost last year. Yeah, it's got depth. It's just a ton of new faces. I mean, he made the 2D bet slot behind Phoenix Sproles, the North Dakota State transfer, who, you know, assumed to kind of fit that position pretty perfectly. But Yamir's a guy, he was the Delaware Gatorade Player of the Year in football last year. He scored almost 30 touchdowns combined between rushing and receiving. He's kind of a, you know, Solomon Van Horst type that can run the ball too. Not going to say they're going to use him as a running back because they've got plenty of them, but you could see maybe some play where you use him as a running back if you want because he's the size, you know, he's not a big dude, but he can get downfield. And, um, yeah, he's really good, but he beat out a guy like Jaden Mines who had a pretty good camp, and he beat him out for that slot spot. Says, I think, a lot about, you know, true freshman. And then you also have Max Moss, another true freshman who's listed behind Reggie Brown on yeah. the outside receiver. So two freshmen cracking the two deep at wide receiver when they bring in multiple transfers. And O'Marion Dollison being one of them didn't crack the two deep. So you, you really yeah. put Moss ahead of ahead of uh, Dollison. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we'll still see some transfers, like you said, Phoenix Sproles, um, Elijah Surratt to, the, you know, get some playing time. And maybe some of the guys who aren't necessarily on two deep will probably also get some snaps especially this weekend where you know probably a lot of guys will play but um probably encouraging sign uh for the for the wide receiver room just uh looking at where they stand right now yeah i think it is i mean elijah surratt was you know banged up a little bit in camp he you know was recovering from a surgery in the spring but he's listed as you know a starter so i think you know that's a good sign to see he's a tall guy i mean taji hudson another transfer he's Mm -hmm. listed as a starter he had i think yeah I think he may have had one of the best camps of anybody on the team. You know, Kurt Signetti talks about him, you know, almost weekly at times. And so I think they really like him. So wide receiver, he's got depth. Didn't know what the depth was going to look like going into camp, but I think leaving camp, they really like what they have. And uh, especially with the young quarterback, the amount of veteran receivers they have that are transfers will, will help kind of a young quarterback a little bit um, here in the early parts of the year. Yeah, defensive side of the ball. Um, I guess some interesting things about, you know, when you look at the, the uh, two deep that came out, um, thought the the defensive line situation was a little bit um, interesting. You know, putting uh, Kamara at a couple of uh, different spots. Um, you know, is that a concern? Maybe that they don't have as much depth on the end as uh, maybe they'd hoped at this point, um, or does that really mean anything at this point? I don't think it really means anything because I think the three ends they listed, which was Kamara, Green, and. It's blanking. I don't have it in front of me right now. They had one more list. I can look it up. But I think that those three guys are going to be the rotation that JMU uses. So I don't think it's weird to see Kamara listed as a starter at one side and then the backup at the other. Um, I think it's kind of just be the rotation. The, they also had um, – oh, Abi um, was the other side, you know, listed at, at defensive end as well. So I think that that's the three that we're really going to see a lot of, um, you know, a guy like Amar Thomas could play his way into that that fourth spot on a rotation. I think he's the next guy to kind of step up in that room. But right now, I think they're they're fine with what they have there. And you also have Jami Chroma, who he can play basically the whole defensive line. They've got him listed at D tackle. But, you know, if they need him to play defensive end, he can make it happen. And behind him, another freshman, retro freshman Tyreek Tucker listed on the two deep. 
he didn't play at all last year and now shows up on the two deep younger brother of uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Yeah, that that one was uh, interesting to me. Um, I think, you know, early in camp, uh, I seem to remember you and, uh, you know, our friend Dave talking a little bit about, you know, Riley Robel as among the freshmen mm-hmm. who might, you know, be a guy who could particularly do that. So see Tyree Tucker's name on there. Um, yeah, it seems like he's coming along good. I mean, obviously, you know, share some good genes there. Uh, and um, is a guy who's had size since the day he arrived. Um, be interesting to see how much uh, playing time he ends up getting, what he ends up doing um, in this program. Uh, outside of that, on defense, obviously, linebacker is um, – It's pretty solid. Yeah. He, it, similar to the um, offensive line on the other side of the ball, it's the group that you don't really have much concern about. Like, yep. You know, uh, as far as, you know – experience depth proven talent all of that um is that going to be kind of the key to this defense this year having those guys who are that capable and really can play can get themselves to any point of the field yeah i think so i think so i think you know a year ago we were like you know this question was the linebacker right you had two new Mm -hmm. starting linebackers stepping in top two leading tacklers a year at the end of the year i think that that's gonna be the part they lean on the most in the, the defense to start but I do think the secondary being, you know, especially the safety being as old as it is, could also end up being a factor. But, you know, we can touch on that because there was a couple of surprising things in the secondary a little bit there. But, yeah, I think, you know, linebacker, when you have Torres Jones and Jalen Walker, I think you're, you're feeling pretty well. Those are two all-conference linebackers. And behind them, you have two sophomores in Hendrick and Fisher who played, both played a little bit last year on the defense. And, and they're capable backups. So if one of these guys goes down, I don't think there's going to be too much of a drop-off at that position. Yeah, let's get into the uh, to the secondary then, because like you said, um, a little bit of surprise. Um, Two surprises. There, yeah, first one. I guess we'll go to Rover first. You know, Jarius Remenique transferred to Arkansas from Arkansas State a year ago. Played last year. He's listed with Chris Chuckanucky as an or Rover, and Chuck played there basically the entire mm-hmm. year. Jarius filled in when he was hurt, I think, for a game or two, or you know, just missed some time. But now there's an or there. So Jarius seems to have caught up to Chuck at, at Rover, which is interesting just considering, you know, Chuck a redshirt senior. Jarius is a senior too, so not a bad thing to have. But, you know, it's interesting when they list Jarius first over Chris Chukwinecki. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, Chukwinecki is a guy. We talk about the proven guys on this team. I think that's the name. Um, if you followed Jamie at all over the last year, like, I mean, you recognize that name uh, as a guy who's produced in that role. Um, you know, like you said, you know, Jarius got in there, did some things last year, but he's capable. Yeah, didn't necessarily expect him to be, you know, on the same level when it came yeah. to that. Um, you know, I don't know if this is a um, this initial depth chart, how much it has to do with potentially if it's close, rewarding some guys who have worked the hardest or you know made an impression in one way or another here this week. Um, if we'll see any major changes week to week, but. Safety, when we talk about the secondary, safety position is very experienced and very deep, it seems like, at both safety spots. It is, but there's also an intriguing mark there at strong safety. You know, Francis Meehan came into the year, you assume he's a starter. Well, first depth chart comes out, Jacob Thomas, a sophomore, listed kind of ahead of him technically, but there's an or there. He's a guy who is a walk-on, or was a walk-on a year ago, and former high school kind of Swiss Army knife, played basically every almost every position on the football field. Was a quarterback, was a state player of the year on the uh, state offensive player of the year in twenty twenty one, 
led Stonebridge to, you know, back-to-back state titles. He's there, you know, as that. And, and Kurt Signetti said he had a great camp. He's super athletic. I think they really like him there. And he played special teams a year ago, but seems like we're going to see him a lot on defense now. Yeah, I mean, we see guys like that make an impression at JMU. Whether they come in as walk-ons, preferred walk-ons, or lightly recruited guys. You know, we're still talking about the secondary. You know, it's similar. Bryn Austin was a scholarship guy, but a similar situation where, you know, you look at his scholarship offers coming out of high school. They look similar. And they're guys that the staff has just recognized as people who can play and they've given the opportunity to and they've, you know, proven themselves right away. Yeah, they have, and I think that's a good thing to see. I mean, we've seen it with other guys on this team. James Carpenter's a good example. He will walk on offensive yeah. lineman at one point, turns around and becomes a, a stud. I mean, you can kind of look up and down the roster. Meehan was a walk on. He yeah. came a starter as safety. So this team is good at developing guys that are you know, under-recruited and finding them and making them stars. And I think that, you know, maybe Jacob Thomas can be the next guy who is he's super athletic. But, uh, you know, I think we'll see what happens. But then the other safety spot, you know, Q Reed and uh, Chief Surratt, I think either way, either person who plays there is mm-hmm. fine. I mean, Q Reed made big plays last year. Chief Surratt made big plays. You know what he gets in the return game too. So, you know, that spot's kind of – that's all right. Whoever plays there, you, you know what you're going to get yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think – I don't even think they listed that one as an or, but it's essentially no. It has an or. Is it an or? I couldn't remember if that was an or one, but uh, you know that's one where you you know you essentially have two starters uh, at your disposal there. Um, cornerback um, continues to be an interesting spot with you know some young guys. Um, we talk so much about the transfers versus the ones that have been guys here. or yeah or versus guys that you know have come in under recruited. Yeah. Um, you know, cornerbacks a spot where. There's been some people who, when they announced they were coming to JMU, the excitement level was high just because of where they were coming from. And it's interesting that, you know, it's still guys like uh, Chauncey Logan, Brent Austin, like, et cetera, who are the ones who end up getting on the field. There's multiple four-star guys came out of high school, four stars that aren't even on the two deep at quarter. Yeah. Right? You've got, you know, Nakai Meredith, an NC State transfer, who played a little bit at NC State two years ago, didn't play much last year. You've got Travell Mullen. He, I think, you know, if he had committed to Jamie out of high school, he's a redshirt freshman from Indy. He transferred from Indiana. Mm-hmm. He would have been the highest rated recruit to ever show up out of a high school. Four-star guy from, from Florida. Not on the two deep. Two deep, you know, you have Devin Cole, some on one side, Chauncey Lugan on the other, pretty similar. And you have Brent Austin. Yeah. And then you also have Justin Eaglin, a redshirt freshman, who they really like a lot from North Carolina, um, you know, at the other corner spot. So it's interesting that, you know, guys that come out of, you know, highly rated guys come from these P5 programs. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you've seen this before, JMU where it takes time for either of them to break in or sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's just, it, it happens like that. But uh, right now they're rolling with a really young cornerback room and yeah. Devin Coles is kind of the most experienced one there. And I think, you know, what we'll end up seeing is teams are going to throw the ball. It's going to happen. You can't run the ball against this Jamie team. You know that from a year ago. So you have to see what the corners are made of. Bucknell might try it, but UVA is definitely throw the ball. Yeah. Um, I think it's similar when you look at, cornerback it's similar to the discussion we had about Alonzo Barnett where you know these guys are just simply beating out people who probably came in here with more hype um came from you know power five programs and it's it's interesting to see I don't think um necessarily a bad thing if you're a JMU fan like it's a the staff I would say has probably proven themselves as the ability to um evaluate the talent um it's always it's always a question mark until you see them actually on the field, which we will on Saturday. But um, you know, 
we were surprised to see, you know, Chauncey Logan starting as early as he did last year, and he ended up like having a pretty solid. Like, yeah, I mean, like, he kind of came in because uh, Xavier Coakley was kind of struggling, but yeah, yeah it, it worked out for the best. I mean, one thing about this team is, you know, Kurt Signetti says it, and all the players say it when they commit, whether they're transfer especially, that nothing is guaranteed for these guys. Mm-hmm. Todd Santeo wasn't guaranteed to be a starter year. Yeah. He had to earn it. Nothing's guaranteed mm-hmm. for, you know, if you come from a big-name school or you had the stars in high school, coaching staff looks at you the same as if, you know, you're you're a walk-on guy from, from Ashburn, Virginia. I think that you got to earn it, and, and we've seen it. Right with these guys and cursing that he's going to play the best twenty-two he's got, and you know so far this is what it looks like. But depth chart only means but so much. I guess you have to see what actually happens on the field and on Saturday. Yeah, is there much about Bucknell to look for in this game as a, as a, you know a preview when it comes to the Bison? Obviously, it's a it's a lower level program coming from FCS in the Patriot League, and it's yeah. not one of the better Patriot League programs either. I mean, I think uh, it's been pointed out in the uh, game notes this week that uh, JMU has a losing record all time against the uh, Patriot, <laughs> Patriot League. Um, yes. And uh, some of those some of those losses were uh, pretty heartbreaking for Yeah, the I mean, Dukes, I, think, but, I think some JMU faithful remember a game against Colgate, I guess, you know, in the playoffs a couple years ago. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, Bucknell, they've got a new coordinator at offense, uh, you know, um, John Bear from, from Southeastern University. He's going to bring an up-tempo offense, something that Bucknell didn't use a year ago, so a little bit different. Um, but I don't think it's too much that JMU hasn't seen before. Yeah. I think that, you know, they'll be fine. I mean, you don't want to approach this game as a guaranteed win, right? Because it's not. You can slip up, and it's you know, it's Division One team. They weren't you know that good a year ago, but it is what it is. Um, I think JMU will come out you know firing, and uh, we'll see what the score is by halftime, and then see what happens with uh, who's on the field after that. But I, I'd assume starting group plays at least half two halftime, and then probably a little bit in the third as well. Yeah, that seems to be the uh, typical pattern for uh, Kurt Signetti. I think it was uh, I think it was James Carpenter, right, who who mentioned that. You know, they had a similar situation in the opener last year where yep. the team was a new offensive coordinator. And Middle Tennessee. They didn't know exactly kind of what they were going to run. And obviously a Middle Tennessee team that has just more talent and depth than uh, this Bucknell team. <laughs> it's a Middle uh, Tennessee and, team that yeah. went to Miami and yeah. won a couple of weeks later. So. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think they seem to probably certainly have the capability to handle that challenge of it. Yep. I mean, w- one aspect about um, – Bucknell, I find maybe the most interesting going into this game is just the fact that you look at their roster, they seem to recruit similar geographic areas to JMU. I know JMU is getting more into the south as they get uh, mm-hmm. established in the Sun Belt, but you know, those um, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Bucknell comes down into Virginia, into Virginia a yeah. lot. Um, I think, you know, one of their best players is a linebacker from Culpepper. Um, so, you know, just that kind of overlap probably where there might be some people who know each other on the field a little bit. Probably a little if bit. If we're yeah. looking for anything that might be actually interesting about the opponent, that's one thing I, I, <laughs> I think I think I well, there's some there'll be some familiar faces cuz you know, they're from similar areas in the teams, but yeah. you know, Jamie also runs into that when they play basically Marshall, yeah. ODU. I mean, yeah. a lot of the teams you see they see a lot of the same guys. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting, but uh, it's week 1, a lot of unknowns, a lot of knowns, a lot of unknowns. But uh, do we have a prediction? Uh, <laughs> Let's just do a season prediction to start. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the prediction for Bucknell doesn't hold a lot of weight. But season prediction does. What do you got, Shane? What do you got on this 12-game schedule? Uh, I've been – I think I've been leaning towards 8-4 and four overall. Um, you know, 
the first two weeks could make me more optimistic depending on how how things go how uh how some of the question marks are addressed yeah um in the opening games uh but you know i think as tough as the schedule is you know jamie can play really well and there's still such some stumbling blocks along the way yeah i was thinking you know eight and five i'm assuming they're making a bowl game but here's where we're gonna put it eight and five you can either take that one of two ways. That's a seven and five regular season and a bowl win, or an eight and four regular season and a bowl loss. I'm yeah. going to go eight and five. Though it's going to be the record mm-hmm. with the bowl game included. Yeah, bowl's the, not guaranteed, but you know, it's yeah, kind of likely. Fair, seems fairly likely um, that yes, we'll be talking about a bowl game come December. Um, especially, you know, I, I've seen this noted that uh, Arizona State taking themselves out of yeah, the, it's one team out down. Of the, that's one, yeah, one more. One more potential uh, spot for for JMU when it comes to a bowl game um, would be would be fun and I think a nice reward for um, people in this program after you know two years of the transition process to kind of validate you know what they've done so far. Um, but I think yeah I think we're both uh, in agreement that we expect JMU to be pretty solid. Yeah. Even against you know a, a very very tough schedule. Obviously the toughest schedule this program has ever faced over the course of a, a football season yeah i think if you play a perfect game a perfect game every single game for 12 games i think their ceiling is probably 10 and 2 but their floor is probably around 6 and 6 i think it's that much of a difference just yeah. because how tough the schedule is you can they can go 6 and 6 they can go 10 and 2 we just pick in the middle between there and it's just you know there's um you know very various factors involved too you know i think south alabama is going to be a better team than troy and yep. the west this year but jamie gets them at home and they have to travel to troy as a part of like a yep. string of uh road trips and you know those things factor in um does that make it even you know even considering that you know south alabama might be better than troy is that game more winnable when you're playing at home and you know it's sold out game too i uh, mean yeah. i think it might be a more winnable game but i'm sure yeah down the road you can talk about that more but yeah i think you know that i mean utah state was bowl team last year six and six or seven mm-hmm. and five one and two last year before their bowl game decent team but you got to go on the road yeah cross country so that could be a, you know a tra- not a trap game but it could be a trap game falling between troy and uh in south alabama even though jamie might be favored going to that one jamie you could also be favored next week against virginia depending how virginia plays against tennessee this weekend but yeah we'll see the, the whole everything about the Virginia game will be interesting, and we'll get more into it with the next episode. Yeah, for sure. But you know, it'll be uh, interesting to see if Jamie's favored. Uh, I wonder. You know, noon on ESPN, you studying uh, some of the TV ratings from last year. There might be as many people in the stands as there are uh, watching that game on TV, <laughs> like the way uh, the noon ESPN U games go. So uh, find out. So they'll be, they'll be interesting too. Um, big opportunity for the Dukes. Uh, before we wrap it up, we can quickly kind of just you know talk about you know some of the other fall sports that we haven't hit on in a while since we haven't done an episode. Yeah, uh, you know, great start for uh, soccer programs. Jamie men's soccer ranked number seventeen in the country right now. Uh, you know, skyrocketing in those rankings after they uh, went from impressive no- <laughs> victories from uh, against Duquesne and UCLA. Yeah, they went from no votes being received to being seventeenth in the country. Um, you know, there's four Sunbelt teams in the top 25, a couple more receiving mm-hmm. votes. I mean, it's really good. Sunbelt men's soccer, I think, is probably the number two league in the country yeah. behind the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, but, yeah, they beat UCLA, you know, one nothing. Great game there. I mean, they beat Duquesne pretty handily. Duquesne 
not the best of teams in the Elite Ten, middle of the pack. But Duquesne did handle Virginia Tech as well. So yeah, that, that's that. And then you know, women's soccer is taking care of business. They're on a West Coast swing this weekend, going out to California. I think for you know two games with Santa Clara and can't remember who the other team they're playing, but throughout Western California. And then, you know, volleyball off to a pretty decent start too at home. Yeah. It, probably notable that uh, both women's soccer and volleyball uh, bounced back from disappointing results early on, um, took care of business the next time out. Um, I mean, women's soccer is 2-0. No, they're not. They yeah, lost they women's soccer? Yeah. They lost to Virginia Tech. But they started 2-0. They started 2-0. Then they yeah. lost to Virginia Tech. <laughs> Still two and zero. Yeah, best start in like you know okay. five years, six years. Yeah, but then they you know had disappointing result against Virginia Tech, yeah. and then it looked like it was going to be a disappointing result against Maryland. But and, they uh, uh, they stormed. Yeah, <laughs> they really salvaged that one to get the draw uh, against the Terps. Um, yeah. you know, overall pretty impressive uh, start for JMU volleyball, considering you know they're a little bit shorthanded. Um, that was a tough uh, opening tournament they had against some really good mid-major programs. Got a couple um, results out of it, so it worked out. Yeah, um, so we'll have uh, plenty of fall sports going on as things things uh, get going. I talked to Lauren uh, Laporte the other day. Uh, they're excited about fall softball. So you know, you know, plenty plenty of stuff going on as uh, as the twenty twenty three twenty four school year has begun. Um, also, probably have plenty of recruiting talk in the coming weeks. Uh, Going to be a huge weekend uh, for a lot of sports there. Yeah. Uh, with the only real uh, home game for a while, football-wise. Um, but I think that probably just about does it for us today. This has been the uh, Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. Been here with uh, Noah Fleischman. And thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs>